Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Most of us have heard the saying, hate the sin, love the sinner. It sounds loving. Now imagine someone saying it about you. Does it still sound loving? Today we conclude our sermon series, What the Bible Doesn't Say. Join us for the message, hate the sin, love the sinner. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, most of us have heard the saying, hate the sin, love the sinner, and it sounds loving. Now imagine someone saying it directly to you, and does it still sound loving? So join us a little bit later for the message, hate the sin, love the sinner. It will be the last in our sermon series, What the Bible Doesn't Say. Our scripture is found in Matthew 7. Uh, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you, you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Our second reading comes from 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer or persecutor and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners to whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of our God for the people of God. The first time that I ever heard the words, hate the sin, love the sinner, was from the mouth of my mother. Now, I don't remember the circumstances in which she first said it, but over the years, I remember her saying it a number of times, and it made sense to me. I mean, yeah, of, of course we should hate sin, and of course we should love sinners. And if Jesus didn't say it directly, well, it certainly sounds like something that he might have said. So for years, whenever I found myself in a situation in which I found another's actions objectionable, I'd repeat to myself and remind me that we're called to love everyone, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. Then one day, I was listening to a bunch of church people debate and discuss the practice of homosexuality. When one person who held a traditionalist view on human sexuality, when she was accused of not being loving to gay people, she strenuously objected. Then she said in reference to LGBTQ people, after all, hate the sin, love the sinner. And at that moment, I realized that the saying, hate the sin, love the sinner, does not feel really at all loving when it's directed to you personally. 
Since then, I've learned that virtually all LGBTQ folks, particularly those raised in the church, have heard at some point or even had it said to their face, hate the sin, love the sinner. The saying that is usually meant to be a reminder to love everyone can then suddenly take on more of a dark and a shadowy undertone. But before we get to that, I want us to review these other sayings that the Bible doesn't say that we've been exploring for the last few weeks. If you recall, the first was, everything happens for a reason. And so we talked about, so does everything happen for a reason? And we said, yes, but maybe not in the way that that is usually meant. The reason something happens may simply be due to the cause and effect of the natural world, or because we or someone else makes a poor decision that leads to detrimental circumstances. But I think the real answer to the question, the real reason that anything happens is because God knows that the only way that we can grow is to live in a world that we cannot fully control or predict. So the only way for us to grow emotionally and spiritually and morally and ethically is if we have true freedom with real consequences. The second saying was, God helps those who help themselves. And what we discovered was that while the Bible does include this verse from 2 Thessalonians, anyone unwilling to work should not eat, the Bible contains so much more about the God who helps those who cannot help themselves. And this same God tells us to do the same, help those who cannot help themselves. Well, next we looked at the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. But the truth is, is that God gives us more than we can handle all the time. And that's the reason we need God. We cannot handle it on our own. So God is there to hold us, to hold us up when we cannot hold up ourselves. God is there to comfort and strengthen us. And God is there to enable us to weave goodness from evil, light from darkness, and life from death. And as I like one person said it, God enables us to kick darkness until it bleeds light. And maybe it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle everything you've been given. And then last week, we discussed the maxim. We delved into God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But then we decided, and Kim, could you put up the slide that we had from last week? This is better. God said it. I interpret it to the best of my ability, keeping in mind the limitations and filters imposed by my worldview, and that doesn't entirely settle it. But it does provide a trustworthy, if incomplete, platform on which to base my values and decisions. It's not nearly as pithy, but it's a lot more true. So now let's look and probe Hate the sin, love the sinner. And of all of the sayings that we've scrutinized, love, hate the sin, love the sinner, is the one that I myself have used the most, that is, until it was used against me. Like the other sayings, love the sin, hate the sinner, and by the way, if you, if you Google this, it goes both ways, the saying. My mother always said, hate the sin, love the sinner, but plenty of other people say, love the sinner, hate the sin. So both of them are correct or incorrect, as we shall see. But like all of these sayings, it contains some essential truths. And I really do believe that the vast majority of people who use 
This, this saying of love the sin, hate the sinner is to communicate, I said that wrong. I just said that wrong. I'm so glad I caught myself. If I say it wrong again, I want you to catch me and say, Jane, you said that wrong. But the vast majority of people who say, hate the sin, love the sinner, they really mean to communicate grace and to be positive. And I certainly meant that when I said it. But like the other sayings we've examined, while love the sinner, hate the sin sounds like it comes from the Bible, and some people really do think it's one of the sayings of Jesus, it's, it actually is not. Hate the sin, love the sinner is often paired, though, with another sinning, or excuse me, with another saying, no sin is worse than any other. And again, this is meant as something that's grace-filled, but it doesn't really take much scrutiny to realize that maybe this one doesn't really hold water. For example, and this may actually happen, if I arrive at church one Sunday morning and eat 10 chocolate-covered glazed donuts, <laughs> I will be guilty of the sin of gluttony, which will be one of the seven deadly sins, by the way, that we will look at in the next few weeks. But if instead I decide to down 10 shots of vodka, then I get behind the wheel of my car and cause an accident and take out a family of four. I believe that I'm guilty of a far worse sin. Now both sins originate from overconsumption, but they have far different consequences and they are consequences that could be easily foreseen. There's a difference between cheating in a card game with your friends and cheating on your spouse. There's a difference between lying about your weight on a personal ad and lying on the witness stand in the court of law. I do think some sins are worse than others. So that begs the question then, what is sin? Now the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated as the English word sin is hamartia, hamartia. And it usually means to stray from the path or to miss the mark. And the word hamartia was actually a term that was used in archery. An archer may aim for the bullseye, but if they miss the mark, it is hamartia. Likewise, we may aim to live as disciples of Christ and to be followers of Jesus, but we so often miss the mark. We sin, and we are all sinners. So then, what's wrong with the saying, love the sinner? Of course we should love sinners. Uh, we should love all sinners. And over and over again, the gospel, we find that Jesus invariably loves sinners. And we even, uh, Kathy just read from the first letter of Timothy, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But here's the rub. While Jesus certainly loved sinners, he never actually told us to love sinners. What he said was, love your neighbor. And there is a subtle but very real difference. Emphasizing loving our neighbor over loving the sinner puts our love of others in a different context. A neighbor is someone that we are in a relationship with, someone we, we are called to care for. We love our neighbor as opposed to the sinner. Loving our neighbor personalizes our love. And you know, Jesus takes us even one step further. We're also supposed to love our enemies. 
because our enemies are also our neighbors, sometimes literally. Seeing another as our neighbor enables us to see that other as a whole and a complete person. And it keeps us from viewing others as nothing more than the sum of their sins, or from viewing others as nothing more than the sum of their political beliefs, which is a temptation that I think we're all gonna find be much more common during an election year, myself included. Jesus knew that we were gonna be tempted to be judgmental of others. And he wanted us to concentrate a lot more on our own sins than everybody else's. And that's why he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? And I might add also this wonderful parable that Jesus uh, uh, tells us in the Gospel of Luke. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers are even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. When we concentrate on loving the sinner, it can sound like, even though you are a sinner, I will graciously love you in spite of your sin. Maybe a better way to think about it is you are my neighbor, and I will love you in spite of the fact that I am a sinner. Okay, so what about the second part, hate the sin? When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus hung out with all sorts of sinners. Drunkards, prostitutes, adulterers, thieves, and tax collectors. He even occasionally hung out with Pharisees. And in all these encounters, we never read that Jesus turned to anyone and said, I love you, but I hate your sin. Instead, Jesus talked endlessly about forgiveness. And the only time sin seemed to make him angry, when Jesus seemed to really hate sin, was when he confronted the sins of hypocrisy and the lack of compassion in religious leaders. And in those cases, his condemnation could be relentless. When people are asked why they are not involved with the church, the number one answer is they perceive Christians to be hypocrites. But it may be less that Christians don't always live up to our ideals because fully, I mean, no one can do this. Fully living up to Jesus' standards are an impossibility for any of us. But I think what non-Christians see is more that we Christians can be so good at pointing out the sins of others while remaining blind to our own. There was a cartoon once that showed a man standing before the pearly gates. And after looking at the man's name there in the book of life, St. Peter says, it says here that you were a believer, yes, but you skip the not being a jerk about it part. 
It's essential that we believe, but it's just as essential that we not be a jerk about it. Paul writes in Romans, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Instead of necessarily hating sin, maybe it might be better to hate evil. That is the evil that resides in all of us and tempts us to sin and keeps us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. After all, we don't pray deliver us from sin, but deliver us from evil. Several years ago, several years ago, I had a relative. I still have the same relative. Um, but let's, let's say it's a cousin. I had a cousin who spent several years in prison. And after he was paroled, he was able to see his father one last time before his father passed away. And so the first time in years that my siblings and I were going to see our cousin was, was at his father's graveside service. And as we parked and approached the tent where the service was to be held, I could see my cousin from a ways off. And I could tell by his body language, and he wasn't quite turning to us, he's just kind of tilting his head down and looking at us nervously. And I could tell that he wasn't sure how we were going to respond to him. What we did is we made a beeline over to him and gave him a big hug. The criminal justice system held him accountable for his actions, and that is their job. And they did their job. But we're family. And our job, our job is to love unconditionally, period. After the service, we all went out for Mexican food, and we reconnected. And it was just like the years melted away. As Christians, our job is to love, to love unconditionally, period. Now, of course, there's always room for religious indignation, for holy anger, but we should direct that anger at the forces of evil, not necessarily at the persons who are caught up in the web of evil. Now, I realize, believe me, I realize this is so much easier when those sins or that evil is not directed to us. Because my siblings and I were not victims of my cousin's crimes. So loving him was not all that hard for us. When we ourselves have been wounded deeply by evil, or we've suffered greatly because of the sins or choices of others, this all becomes a whole lot more complicated. But most of the time, when we use the phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner, we're usually not referring to those types of situations. We're generally referring to someone who we know is engaging in some sort of behavior that we just don't approve of. And again, most of the time, saying hate the sin, love the sinner, serves to remind us to be loving and non-judgmental. And we may not realize how it sounds to those to whom it may be directed. So imagine this, you're in a deep conversation with a fellow Christian. And this fellow Christian is convinced that divorce is wrong and sinful under any circumstances. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And moreover, remarrying after divorce is adultery. And as you know, this fellow Christian could easily quote Bible verses to support their argument. Now imagine that you are divorced and remarried. And most of you, uh, or many of you don't have to imagine this because you're living it. 
Now imagine that as the discussion is winding down, this fellow Christian turns to you and says, well, even though you're an adulterer, I love you anyway, because hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, after hearing this, just how loved do you feel? Do you feel as if you've been graciously loved and accepted? Or do you feel judged? Does it in fact sound not only judgmental, does it not sound patronizing? As I said earlier, of all the sayings that we've examined in this series, love the sin, uh, excuse me, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner, is the one that I was the most likely to say to myself. And I know people mean well when they say it because I certainly did. But what really changed my mind was when I realized how hate the sin, love the sinner sounds to the person to whom it's being directed. When you're at the receiving end, it just doesn't feel that loving at all. So from now on, and if, and, and if this saying is helpful for you, go ahead and say it internally if you genuinely find it helpful. I mean, even since the, uh, the, the, the situation where it was directed toward me, I've still said it to myself internally. I said it about the person who said that to me. <laughs> but I'm going to be much more careful now if I ever will ever say it out loud again. Because the last thing that I want is for something that I meant to sound loving to end up sounding anything but. Now, we've now explored a number of things that the Bible doesn't say. And so maybe this should motivate us to explore a little bit more about things that the Bible does say and what is true and what are the true teachings of Jesus. And so to end our series, I could think of no better way to sign off. And these are not actually words of Jesus, but they are words from the first epistle of Peter. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking with the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now receive this benediction. Travel through this week ahead knowing that indeed God loves you and calls you to resist evil and to love your neighbor. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week, we begin a new sermon series as we welcome the season of Lent. Join us for the series, Shiny, Pretty, Deadly Things, The Seven Deadly Sins. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry through your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.